you have a Bible and would like to turn in your Bible, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes today, and today we begin in chapter 2 and verse 1 through verse 11. And as we've discussed before, I take Solomon to be the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, as he says in verse 1. And Solomon writes now for our instruction, chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor which I, in which I had toiled. And indeed... All was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks be to God for giving us his inspired and and infallible word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to hear. To hear, Lord, not for another but for ourselves, to hear the voice of God, God the Holy Spirit who speaks in the scriptures, and may your anointing be on the message and the messenger today and on our ears, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. What is the chief end of man? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask some, uh, they will say, uh, it's pleasure. It's happiness. Happiness is the chief aim in life. But if you ask a good Presbyterian, you will get a different answer. (laughs) And according to our catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were created to glorify and enjoy God. It's not just Presbyterians, but all who were created, all people on this earth, their purpose in life, their chief end should be and is to glorify God, to enjoy Him. And and yet, contrary to what many people think, God 
is not opposed to pleasure. God invented pleasure, the ability to, to, to take pleasure in anything, whether himself or his creation. Well, what he is opposed to is, is seeking pleasure for its own sake and making that the chief aim of our lives. And it's rather easy for us to, to get caught up in that as we see Solomon's own life as an example. Uh, but in chapter 1, Solomon told us about his quest for earthly <clears throat> knowledge and human wisdom. And his conclusion was that it was all vanity, all a grasping for the wind. And now in chapter 2, he's turning to another area that, that he is really making a, a, a trial of, if you will, uh, an experiment and that is of earthly pleasures to see uh, what they would bring him. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. So, so this, this determination to find out if the pursuit of pleasure by experience would satisfy him and bring meaning to his life. Uh, he informs us at the outset, interestingly enough, he doesn't leave any doubts. He says the experiment uh, didn't turn out very well because pleasure turned out to be very empty. It turned out to be meaningless, and this was vanity. Pleasure-seeking, pleasure itself could not satisfy his spiritual thirst. You and I were created, by the way, with a spiritual thirst. As someone said, the God-shaped hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they rest in God. That's that gnawing hunger in your heart that you may not know what it is and you've tried to fill it with the things of the world. That, that, that only God can fill. This is Solomon's lesson to us today. Remember, if you have been here the last couple of weeks, the Hebrew word for vanity, hebel in Hebrew, it literally means vapor or breath, something very temporary, something that does not last. And, and so earthly pleasure, Solomon found out, uh, did not last very long. It was temporary. It was fleeting. Long before Solomon, uh, the patriarch Moses had his own conclusions about Pleasure in Hebrews 11:25 it says Moses chose to suffer afflictions with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And we too have a, a choice to make every day in, in our lives. We can choose to live for the temporary pleasures of this world, and they're not all sinful in themselves. But we can choose to live for those things or live for the true and lasting pleasures that God offers in Jesus Christ. If we, if we choose to, we, we have a choice between the path of instant gratification or delayed gratification, if you will. The path of self-denial is one that Jesus taught. Uh, he said there's a narrow road that leads to life. And remember, Jesus said, I came to, to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Narrow road leads to life. The broad road leads to destruction. And so the broad road is that road of that the, the vast majority of people are going on. The world is headed down that road. It's the path of instant gratification and pleasure-seeking. The narrow road is difficult. Only a few even find it, much less actually travel it. And it is a path of self-denial. 
It is a path of obedience to the commandments. It is a path of deferred gratification. But it's not without gratification. It's not without pleasure. Uh, that, that road is difficult, but it does lead to true and lasting pleasure, eternal pleasure. It leads to life itself. Well, this morning as we look at, at Solomon's quest for pleasure, uh, I hope that, that it will encourage us uh, to make the right choice uh, when we uh, face the temptations of pleasure-seeking in our own lives. Let's, let's follow Solomon now on, his, on the search uh, and see what he learned. And the first thing he sought pleasure in was laughter. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Laughter, joking, humor, uh, it's part of our lives. You know, Solomon, we, think, we, we wonder uh, what, what uh, kind of humor and uh, entertainment with laughter that Solomon had. Uh, he didn't have late night TV with its canned laugh tracks. You know, I thought about that today and uh, I, I thought, you know, usually when I tell a joke, nobody laughs. And if I had a laugh track, maybe that would help the congregation. But I actually got a laugh today, something I said earlier, I don't know what exactly it was. Um, but Solomon didn't have the endless access to to TikTok or, or YouTube videos, funny cat videos or whatever you <laughs> watch. That, uh, but I, I imagine he did have court jesters uh, and and clowns and, and assorted comedians. You know, Solomon was a very wise and smart man. He probably had some pretty funny riddles and, and witty puns that he would perhaps have told himself, and, and maybe he made others laugh because. He had that gift. Um, but after lapping it off for a period of time, he, he concluded, what does it really accomplish? What purpose does it have? And, of course, we need to point out here that, that not all laughter is wrong, that, that laughter can be uh, a good gift of God. Solomon himself wrote it in Proverbs 17:22, which probably came to your own mind, that a merry heart does good like medicine. And then... He says later in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, that there's a time to weep. There's also a time to laugh. And the point is, there's a place for laughter, but it's certainly not something you want to live your life for or seek purpose and meaning in. Now, entertainment today is, is big business, and laughter is a big part of it. Laughter sells, and, and, and it's okay to enjoy some in moderation, like a lot of things. Uh, but if... If we're looking at entertainment as a source to, to bring us true happiness in life, uh, then we're going to be disappointed. Solomon said in Proverbs 14, 13, Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth, mirth may be grief. Laughter is not the answer to life's problems. So where, where does true joy come from? Well, you know the answer to that question. It comes from knowing God and serving Jesus Christ. And really, true joy is a byproduct. We don't seek it as an end in and of itself. Even joy, which is a gift of God, laughter included in that. Uh, but it's a byproduct of worshiping and serving God. The scripture does teach us, though, that, that, that's, that true joy is important. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, notice where the focus is. It's in the Lord. What did Paul say? He said, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. 
And I think sometimes we're guilty of being a little too serious and somber, in our, especially in, in worship. I, I, I think we can smile. I think we can laugh. I don't think it's all about laughter, no. But it is, it, it is to be part of it because in Psalm 126, it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. You see, a great deliverance brings great joy and rejoicing. And we've had the greatest deliverance of all, that of salvation from sin. How could we not laugh with, with uh, a robust, joyful laughter and sing when we've been given such a great salvation? Now, again, even in worship, there's, there's a place for that somber uh, you know, note, that minor key. But there's also a place for joy for laughter. Solomon next turns from from laughter to wine. In verse 3, he said, A search in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guarding my heart with wisdom. If amusement and entertainment couldn't satisfy him, perhaps the enjoyment of fine wine could do it. And we imagine that Solomon would have had the finest Right of wines, expensive wine that that you and I couldn't have afforded. But um, well, you know, Solomon should have asked, uh, you know, a teetotaling Baptist or Pentecostal or even Presbyterians. You know, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church up until the 1940s was a teetotaling denomination. We did not believe that it, that any Christian should imbibe any alcohol whatsoever. Well, uh, Solomon didn't think like that he 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 believed it was okay and and he pursued it psalm 104 says god's given wine that makes glad the heart of man we can we could get into the ins and out of that verse but jesus our our lord drank wine he was accused of being a drunkard he was not um and and so it might seem at first glance that solomon was 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 just becoming a, a drunkard here but that's not really what he was doing i don't think um that would have been sinful of course but he said, he added, he would drink wine while guard, guiding my heart with wisdom. He, he did not, it seems, uh, do it in excess. He was probably more of a connoisseur here than a, than a drunkard. Well, people drink alcohol for a number of reasons, right? Some drink as a way to escape the pressures of life. Others get into a habit of drinking, and little by little, it becomes an addiction. And very difficult to overcome. Drinking can be a, a, a way, a quick and easy way to drown out the sorrows of life or the, or the, the you know, haggard life of, of working. You come home at the end of the day and you, uh, you, you completely lose yourself with the glass of wine or beer. Well, Solomon's test with wine, I don't think, uh, as I said, I don't think it led to alcohol abuse. Rather... It was, an ex- it was an experiment of sorts. He is setting out to prove and to see. He says in the last half of verse 3, uh, you know, to, um, uh, to lay hold on folly, to see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. And uh, by his own experience, he's going to say, uh, wine cannot lead to true joy and contentment in life. Can wine, can alcohol, 
satisfy the longing of the soul? No, it cannot. Only God can do that. Ephesians 5.18 presents us with a contrast. It says, do not get drunk with wine, uh, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So we can be under the influence of alcohol, whether it's in excess or even moderation, I think, as Solomon perhaps was doing here, or we can be filled with the Spirit. One is vanity, and the other truly satisfies the longing of the human heart. Your heart longs to be filled with God himself, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I spoke with uh, a, a couple last week, an individual and, and a man, mentioned to me he and his wife used to be very active in his church. He said, we used to be uh, youth leaders in our church, but then he retired and then he pointed to the, to the beer he had with him and he says, I retired and then I started this and uh, quit going to church. I'm not uh, not worshiping anymore. And so you could hear it in his voice that he knew it was a poor trade. He knew that he was missing something. And so wine cannot satisfy the aching heart. Only when God is first in our hearts, when his worship is our true delight, and his service is our earnest pursuit, only then will we know true contentment. Well, next, in the search for pleasure, Solomon put his creative juices to work and he sought to find satisfaction in the various projects that he planned and built for himself. He built luxurious houses. He planted planted vineyards. He had gardens and orchards, every kind of fruit tree imaginable. Made pools to to water the the huge grove of trees that that he had started and he created sort of a secular Garden of Eden, as someone put it. And, and one can only imagine the splendor of the gardens of Solomon and the buildings that he built. It makes me think of Genesis chapter 2, where it says that God himself planted a garden and placed Adam in it, the Garden of Eden, that garden which would have far excelled Solomon's uh, garden. Genesis 2.9 says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It was beautiful and it was delicious. Whether you are engaged in growing things or or building things, you you have projects, you have things that you do that you seek to, uh, to, to make yourself useful and in some way and to add value to your world or to to others and that's that's a good thing there's nothing wrong with that now, we are to use our creative gifts to exercise dominion over the creation uh, to bless ourselves and others and we should enjoy the works of our hands but again if we seek ultimate meaning in the works of our own hands and the creations, maybe it's a literary creation. Maybe you're good at writing poetry or something. Uh, ultimate meaning and purpose in our own works, uh, we'll discover, as Solomon did, that these things cannot satisfy our eternal souls. As you read through this chapter, notice some words that are repeated. I, my, myself. Uh, it, it's very self-centered. And, and so 
when you when you talk to others, listen to yourself. Listen for those words, me, myself, and I. Well, we can't avoid that altogether, but if that dominates uh, your speech, then there's a self-centeredness underneath it. And self-centered living cannot satisfy the, the fact that you and I were made to be God-centered. Uh, and, and so we need to turn from ourself, from me, myself, and I, to Jesus Christ. Uh, Revelation 2.4, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Your first, your foremost love should be for me, Jesus says. And, and really, Christ's love alone can, can make us happy. Well, he goes on in verse 8 to talk about his wealth. Again, Solomon's at the top of every one of these categories. No one had uh, more wealth than he did. He had male and female servants, flocks and herds, uh, more than anyone who had ever gone before him. Silver and gold were plentiful. First King says that all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. Well, with all that wealth, you see, then he could acquire servants, and he acquired male and female singers. Music. He tested his heart with music. And some of you here really love music. I think probably most of us love some music. And uh, we're used to being able to access music almost instantaneously, uh, well, you know, with, with the streaming services and phones and devices we have. But in Solomon's day, if you wanted to listen to music, you had, it had to be live. Uh, isn't it great that we, we have live music every Sunday here at church? Live singing and playing of an instrument. And, and it's great. And, and so singing and worship and music are good gifts of God. But we can only imagine the concerts uh, their music after they had a fine meal with the fine wine and then they sit back and listen to the entertainment. I'm sure it was just incredible. I would love to, to have been a fly on the wall to hear uh, the music, what it sounded like, the, the style, the notes, and and so on. Well, music is, is good about creating moods, isn't it? Uh, if you want a mood, just pick a, a type, a genre of music. And, uh, you know, there's types of there, there's certain types of music that are good for studying. Yeah. Listen to a little Mozart. You will study better, learn more. Uh, for just relaxing, I like to listen to jazz, things like that. Well, um, music, though, by itself can't really touch the needs, meet the needs of the soul. Unless God's at the center of our hearts, then music it becomes vanity. And, and we do enjoy it. We, we can enjoy it even as Christians. Certainly in, in, in the worship of the Lord, we use music. But sometimes in the church, uh, if music and instruments become more prominent than God, then we're in trouble. Uh, setting a mood can be the focus instead of what Scripture says, that we should be using music to teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the, the emphasis on the music, biblically, is for teaching and admonishing, for instruction, uh, for declaring uh, the truths of God. But in verse 10, Solomon writes, he says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. We could 
go on and talk about uh, other pleasures that he pursued. But he says, I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor, the pleasure he got from it. And you and I will never have anything close uh, to the things that Solomon had to enjoy, and yet we can be tempted to want those things, to covet those things, to seek satisfaction in them. You think, if only I had, and you fill in the blank, what would that be in your life? If only this could be true in my life. If only I could wind the clock back 30 years, then my life would be wonderful. We could go on and on with, with lists of things. If only I had the car uh, I, of my dreams, the house of my dreams. Um, then I would be truly happy and content. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Solomon says you would not. Uh, it, because remember, he says at the end, when I looked on all the works my hands had done and the labor in which I had toiled, indeed it was all vanity, grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Okay, So uh, don't go there. You only end up where Solomon ended up. You can either love pleasure and be empty, or we can love God and be full. Second Timothy 3, 4 talks about those who were lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So which is it going to be in your own life? You know, and even now, as you hear the Word of God, as, 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 as the message of the Scriptures is being proclaimed to you, uh, you can be distracted by thinking of the pleasures you're going to enjoy later today. Or later in the week. And, and you face the temptation when you hear the word every Sunday. Uh, to uh, let that word be choked out by various things. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus says, Some of the people who hear God's word are like seed that fell among thorns. And he said, Now the ones that fell, the seed that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard the word, which is compared to the seed, they go out, and then the word is choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, bringing no fruit to maturity. But you ask, can't we enjoy these things? Of course we can. Uh, but not for their own sake, and not apart from God. If we enjoy them as unto the Lord... Uh, if we give thanks for uh, good things as gifts of God, and if we pursue them as a byproduct, if we if if these things are a byproduct of godly living, then then we're truly honoring God. So what's what's really the antidote as we as we close today? What's the antidote to the misuse and abuse of pleasure, to pleasure seeking uh, as an end of, in and of itself? Well, I think it, it lies in Many areas, but let's just narrow down our focus to the first and the tenth commandments. We just read them, right? The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And that includes pleasure. Remember your chief end. It's to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. And then other pleasures as a byproduct, we would add. And remember what Scripture says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So we can't eat and drink if we do it to the glory of God. And remember, all true joy comes from the enjoyment of God. We can enjoy all these earthly pleasures, but we have to keep it in the right perspective. 
Uh, and we need to learn to praise God and thank him for all his blessings. Secondly, remember the 10th commandment, which says you shall not covet. Um, Exodus 20:17. you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Why would we covet our neighbor's things? Because we think if we had them, we would be truly happy, and, and that's a lie. Um, and to state it positively, what, what the 10th commandment is saying, if we flipped it, uh, is it, to be content. And Paul said that. He says that, you know, I'm seeking and I am content in whatever circumstances, whatever state I am in. And so when we learn that, when we learn how to be content in whatever state we're in, then we're on the right track. You see, God in his providence has ordered all things in your life as they are presently ordered by the hand of God and that condition you are in may get better I hope so it may get worse but one thing will never change and that's the love of God for you and the presence of God with you if you know Jesus Christ Hebrews 13 5 the writer says let your conduct be without covetousness be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be content. Be content in the situation you are. Now maybe you can improve it. Maybe it, it can get better. But be content until it does improve or get better. Be content if it gets worse. If your delight is in the Lord, and, and Jesus Christ is your first love, and, you, and you're rejoicing in his love for you. If your desire is to worship God and please him, then your heart will be at peace. Because the Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll close with Psalm 1611, which says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's not against pleasure. But often, we have to wait for it. Uh, wait on the Lord. He will bring the pleasures that He has for you. The spiritual pleasures. And we have a taste of these things. When we come together for worship, we have a sp taste of spiritual pleasures. And the Lord's Supper, you see, beautifully illustrates that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a time of spiritual communion with the Lord as we come to Him as He commanded and remember uh, His body given for us and His blood shed for us. So I'm going to ask the elders now if they will come forward as we come to the Lord's table.